and welcome to NeuroCurious, a podcast about all things brain, body, mind, and culture, not necessarily in that order. Uh, I'm Deborah Budding, joined by just Peggy Schaefer today in terms of the co-host situation. Jamie Jones was not able to make it, but we're very lucky because we're also joined by our pal Laura Flores Shaw, and today we are going to be talking about neuromyths. Woohoo! Woo! And especially... Yeah, really, but... <laughs> it's, a, it's a low energy day yeah, today, yeah. so we'll we'll just we'll go with the mm-hmm. with the woohoo, um, especially how how neuromyths influence education. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also uh, metaphorically sipping some lemonade because of uh, Beyonce's new visual album. Yep. So let's dive in. Well, you guys have already all met Laura, um, mm-hmm. but we can have her uh, introduce herself briefly again, just for the fun of it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks, Deb. Hi. You're up. I'm up. Laura Flores Shaw. Uh, oh, I just finished my doctoral coursework. Oh, congratulations. Yes. So now yeah. I just have to finish, you know, the that dissertation thing. Oh, this, that small piece that of it. That thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that will be done uh, this year. Um, so, yeah, and then I'll be done with uh, my work at Johns Hopkins. And, um, and then we'll call you Dr. Laura. And the, No, please don't. <laughs> Oh, my word. I didn't even put that together until right now. My father figured that out, like, immediately. He just, yeah. No, that's not allowed. The children, however, are going to have to call me Dr. Mommy when I'm done. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they've been complaining about that, but. (laughs) Well deserved. Mm -hmm. Yes, so. I think that's enough. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. All right, so. there's so many neuromyths that we could jump into. Um, so maybe we should start by kind of defining yeah. what, what a neuromyth is. Yes. Who's going to do that? <laughs> I'll read it. Okay, go, go ahead. ahead. You're I a good read reader. I, I'm a great reader. Um, a, <laughs> a misconception generated by a misunderstanding, a misreading, or a misquoting of facts scientifically established by brain research to make a case for use of brain research in education or other contexts. I guess other contexts could include money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> financial. Financial. Context. In financial, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 You, you want to sell something, you add the word neuro to it. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And there are new water, neuro water or something like that. Yeah, oh, that's, that's water right. Or mm-hmm. Several, mm-hmm. several wow. of them. Yeah. Lots of educational um, programs that claim to... Balance those, balance your brain. Balance a brain. There's one, there's one program, I'm not going to name the program, but their claim is that, you know, they're based on the neuroscience of plasticity. Right. Which basically says, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh That is meaningless. Uh Yeah. Yeah. Because your brain changes all the time. (laughs) I'm lifting up this coffee cup right now. And And your brain just changed. changing my brain, hopefully. So I think the first one we wanted to really hit on was um, the 10% mm-hmm. idea and then this left yeah. brain, right brain idea that we're all pretty passionate about mm-hmm. in our own individual disciplines. Yeah. Um, well, the, the 10% one seems to have incredible staying power. And there was yeah. even the movie recently... Um, that with, quoted it, didn't it say something like yeah, that? Yeah, that well, it was sort of it was about well, you know you normal people only use ten percent of their brains, and what would happen if you used a hundred percent? Like, was it who was, oh. who was in that? Was it was it Scarlett Johansson who was in it? Oh, it's about I the, don't. Re- yeah, it was I the, Christian and Jarrett talked about it in his book, actually his Neuromyth book. Um, yeah. But, but this idea that, wow, and if you use a hundred, if you can actually use a hundred percent of your brain, you can like move cars and. <laughs> Make people go splody. I want that. Yeah. I'd have to give up my flamethrower, though. But so why right. would that benefit people to use that concept now? See, that's what's so curious to me. It doesn't. It doesn't seem like anything that you could apply in a beneficial way. It's just well, like it's trivial. something. Well, well see, I think. Well, no. If, it, if if it, if they're pr- producing a product that can make you use a hundred percent of your there brain, you are. right? If okay. It boosts your exactly yeah. your usage, yeah. your your percentage, right? Yeah. Then yeah, yeah. and. But it falls in line with the whole left brain, right brain. Right. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You want and to talk that, about that that's one? the yeah. left brain, right brain thing is just it is persistent. And yeah. I mean, but part of it is because um, there is asymmetry in the mm-hmm. brain and, and there is some degree of specialization in terms of left and right hemispheres, but it's really about um, network um, 
connectivity and efficiency. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it, it's not so much that any one part of the brain is responsible for only one thing per right. se. Right. It's just that, that the networks are networking. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, and, and there is a lot of this stuff, that, and again, this is what um, uh, we highly recommend um, Christian Jarrett's book that came out in 2015 on yeah, Neuromyths. The it's Great really Myths good. of the Brain. Yeah, it's a really good book. Um, and so he goes into um, a lot of depth in particular on the, the, the scientific background behind the left brain, right brain stuff because there was all of the split brain research that was done. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it comes from a time that tended to focus in a, in a much more localized way on brain function mm -hmm. as opposed to looking at, at connectivity issues. Mm -hmm. um, so, but, but still, uh, you see lots of people selling the ideas of balancing the two sides of the brain. Oh, yeah, there are centers that you can take yes. your children to to get their that brains will, balanced. Right, mm -hmm. and there's tons of, of research still where people are talking about, you know, working out of the right side of your brain. Right. and. If you're a right-sided learner, if you're, you know, if you're good at math, it's which right. side? Is it right? No, it's and left. It's left, and if I you're think, creative, right? No, language is left. left. I can't yeah. remember. But Creativity is right. Yeah. I know. <laughs> well, but but again, I mean, I think, <laughs> I mean that the the lateralization research is really interesting. Oh yeah. You know, like how things get lateralized is is a really interesting work. But like when I'm teaching classes and talking about left and right brain, I, I tend to focus on more. The left hemisphere is more about familiarity and the right hemisphere mm -hmm. is more about novelty mm -hmm. and you know managing it so if you want to think about it in terms of left and right hemisphere at least kind of think about it in those terms and think about it in terms of um, the accessing information and, and it's not it's not like literally one side of your brain is working at a time right and, and I think that's the impression that people are often left with yes mm -hmm. it is and that's why I think the, the the commonality between the ten percent and the left and right brain is that there's this lack of understanding that the brain functions as a full system. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like you keep saying there's all these networks, there's the, there are these circuits that all are working in various parts of the brain simultaneously. You know? Right. So yeah. Right. Well and there's this subcortical structures, remember those right? Oh those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, those. nobody cares about that. Yeah. So, so they're they're doing so, some work too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> Bit. Well, those are well. Just I mean, those bit. those structures are also lateralized. I will say, though, you know. Yeah. So you know, but but again, yeah. But they're often even not uh, even depicted in pictures of the brain. Right. <laughs> they like right. they'll show pictures right. of the brain without the cerebellum. Oh well, there was yeah. there was just this this big the, the language map that just came out that that I think it was in Nature where the, the you know the all of the words. Mm -hmm. Did you did you see that? I haven't it seen was, that um, yet. People posted it on, on Twitter, so I can see why Peggy might not have seen it. But <laughs> every <laughs> single podcast. Every <laughs> I'm gonna curse now. We're gonna, be the first person. We're gonna get an E on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not from me. So right yeah. Here. yeah. yeah. Um, so, but, but so so they were showing pictures of where you know, cortical pictures of where you know all the the words are located, and there's no cerebellum. There's just yeah. there's no. There's absolutely no cerebellum. No, uh, wasn't, oh, wasn't included. So, um, well, that's a shame. Well, it is. Anyways, I guess my point is, you know, there's many parts working together, and it's um, yes. While there's lateralization, there are, let's say. Well, and the the idea that you wouldn't be using your like, it's just not how evolution works. Like mm -hmm. you don't, if you've got tissue, you're using it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So otherwise, it wouldn't. Right. It, we would have evolved yeah. out of it. Right. Well, I I think it's just interesting because it. You know these these myths fall into uh, a very mechanistic, reductionistic, mm -hmm. linear perspective, mm -hmm. right? And that has, you know, that dom that perspective dominated science for a good three hundred years or so. And so, we're we're you know biology about thirty years ago came into a systems perspective, right? And you know other disciplines are just starting to come into it, mm -hmm. and you know, um, but even with neuroscience, it's easy to kind of get into that reductionistic yeah. sort of well, I mean, perspective from, from as the, well. On the research side, there's so much, I mean, it, being specialized in the area of the brain you study can mm -hmm. become really important because mm -hmm. it's so complicated. Right. Yes. Exactly. So if your, yeah. if your area is mm -hmm. studying hippocampal function, mm -hmm. then that's what your focus is going to be, but you're also not going to be saying 
screw the rest of the brain. Hippocampus is the only thing that matters. Right. You know, right. like that's just right. Well, but, I also think that it that taking that approach helps people to feel less intimidated by it. Mm-hmm. And I think from a marketing perspective for for business people, they it, it, it allows people to take this very complex, kind of actually not complex, but yet complex idea. Right. And, and make it more digestible for them. Yeah. Well, right. And when you're selling, when you're selling stuff to um, to clinicians mm-hmm. and to educators, yes. um, when you start making things sound sciencey, yeah. mm-hmm. it also can give you an air of expertise. That's right. Right. Well, it it's interesting. There's, I mean, there's uh, there are clinicians out there. There's one who's very famous. He has clinics all over the country, um, and his uh, practice focuses on taking pictures of people's brains, but using skeptic technology right. as opposed to fMRI, mm-hmm. right? right? And so, but the argument is, is that it's very powerful for people because right. now you're showing them a picture of their brain, mm-hmm. and right. then you're giving them some some diagnosis allegedly based on the picture of their brain, right? Um, which <laughs> is like you I don't even know what to say face. about that. <laughs> you tried. You tried to keep a straight face. So, but you know, uh, but the, his claim is that it, you know it's so powerful for pe- for people, and that they respond to it, right? Because right. It, it becomes something very digestible right. and easily well, that's concrete, the whole, that's, that's and why the whole thing. Is so well, that's what the, I mean, that's right. Uh, that's exactly placebo, what's happening. Placebo yes. is is you know, man, you bottle placebo, and it is it's incredibly it's effective. The most powerful medicine. Yeah, um, add a picture to it, bam. Yeah, <laughs> especially if you're a visual learner. <laughs> You know, that's a great segue. Wow. Well done, Deb. So now, I mean, surprisingly, I think we're going to move into learning styles. Oh, let's, yes. Let's, yeah, let's talk about learning styles. Great and again, learning and I, styles. So I, I know, like, we're just, you know, we're just a bunch of cackling ladies. Um, <laughs> and, yep. um, yeah. you know, and, and, but the thing is, is that we're, 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 you know, we make fun of ideas um, just because we, you know, we like to do that, but we're uh, we're also worried yeah. about, yeah, really the 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 impact this has on people's development. People, I mean, yes, you know, in education. I mean, we are a country that yeah. is currently looking at potentially electing Donald Trump president. Like, mm-hmm. how did that happen? So that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. So, uh, so, but again, I'm thinking that one's going to be E. That yeah. one's going to be E. Yes. <laughs> Lots of Rated E. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Uh-huh. E for everyone. <laughs> um, uh-huh. But yet, yeah, but if you think about, I mean, how we are educating people and how we are are sort of helping train children to think and think critically, right. it matters. And so to the extent that there are neuromyths guiding educational policy and strategies, mm-hmm. the, it, there are real consequences to that. Yeah. Um, well, so, and, and I know you're Lori, you're equally passionate about this. From, oh, yeah. I mean, with, whatever teachers believe about development, whatever parents believe about yes. development, that drives behavior. Yes. That drives behavior, mm-hmm. you know. And so um, something like learning style is a very, that's a very powerful myth. Right. Because and it seems very benign. It but seems benign, but it isn't. It isn't. And and I have heard, you know, having been in education for a long, long, long time. A while. Um, you know, I've heard parents accuse teachers of not teaching their their child in their learning style. And it's just and then, you know, because learning style is so it's so intuitive, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think unfortunately I don't you know, Gardner's multiple intelligences haven't really kind of helped no. with, with that because that's no. also not really a thing mm-hmm. in terms of the brain. I mean, then, right. then but we're, people use it a lot. Yeah, and you know, look, and there, in a way, and um, I posted something about learning, uh, learning styles on the white paper press Facebook page a while back, and mm-hmm. somebody made a good point. And oh, actually, it was about um, uh, no, it was about. Gardner's multiple intelligences and somebody mm-hmm. made the point that well but at least that got us thinking you know about other things that we should be fostering in children mm-hmm. well that's true yeah, and I think right. that that's true and that but that's a that's a um that's a, a bit of a different conversation than saying right. you know there's putting something out and saying discuss yes right, right. you know and and there's another thing putting this out saying well here's a here's a book that was published by the way you know, books are not peer reviewed, FYI. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, although mine is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. 
you know, but in terms of a, a mechanism for you know promoting ideas, books are important. I you know hope to write a few, but yeah. they're they aren't they aren't peer reviewed in the way that scientific papers are, and even with but there's a lot of trouble right now in in the scientific research communities about reproduce re, uh, reproducibility. Yes. And so there, it's not. I mean, science is an incremental thing, right? right? And so even a lot of the things that we understand better now or have have ideas as being scientifically sound at this point, ten years from now, we'll yeah. be looking back, going, oh, oh, that was a step above planning." Right. Yeah, right. you know. That's right. So. I mean, it is an ongoing process, yeah. but the problem is that these certain clusters of ideas seem to get kind of reified and stuck, right. and then they they get very hard to budge. And and the learning styles one in particular right. is so persistent. Um, so so let's get into that a little bit. Why mm-hmm. why do we have such a strong feeling about the learning styles? What do we experience, Laura? Maybe you're a good person to start with, or anybody. I don't um, but to start with the idea of, okay, so a family comes in and says, my child's a visual learner. How, wh- why? Well, how do you address that? What do you do with that information? Like, why is it a neuromyth? Oh, why do people believe that? Well, because yeah, I, I, and, and, and why is it useful to believe it? I mean, you can have your preferences of whether you prefer to... What you know, if you you can have preferences for kind of sensory systems that you like to use, but mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean you learn better. That no, way. that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's really yeah. That. yeah. Well, and, but so, but I think that there's. It's interesting because there's there's a lot of research mm-hmm. on uh, learning styles, mm-hmm. and um, and a lot of it is actually just bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and and a lot of it too. We have to remember that um, you know when an idea like this comes around, immediately a bunch of um, companies will pop up right and then they'll do their own kind of research right. which again is not peer-reviewed right. and the research um, that they put on so, their website yeah the research <laughs> right. that they put on their website and um um but there there was a study that was done in 2008 um where they looked at at you know just a, a ton of these studies and they had when they do these reviews they have to have specific criteria that the uh-huh. studies have to um fall into and so they had um, uh, four criteria, which you know I, I won't necessarily go into because it's a, you know not that interesting. But um, they found that that most studies did not even fit the yeah. criteria for like what would be a good a, rigorous a study. Base, just basic. Just, yes. Okay, so right. Just the foundation. Just the foundation. Yeah. I um, also heard it's quite conflicting, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then the few studies that did employ the proper methods, they, they found no support okay. for, for learning styles. And so, um, but, you know, what what researchers will tell you consistently is that that you just want to use diverse methods of mm-hmm. teaching for all mm-hmm. children. That benefits mm-hmm. all children, right? right? Because you're just using different, different ways of providing uh, information or experience. Um, well, one of the, the things that comes up in the research, too, about using um, auditory versus visual mm-hmm. versus kinesthetic with, with children is that a lot of times children with neurodevelopmental differences, um, it's not so much the sensory modality that's used, but it's the multiple sensory modalities to have m- multiple access to information that yep. makes it more likely to stick. Yep. So mm-hmm. it's not modality specific. It's more about um, having uh, having things be more stimulating, basically, mm-hmm. yeah. to, in order to, to have things stick more. It, it really is not, it, it isn't modality specific as right. so much as it is. I can't remember if it was Pat Levitt or or Ted Hutman, who talked about these studies, but and I'm, I'm sorry, I think it was Ted um, at a conference that I was at, and was specifically was doing infant research and looking specifically at that, mm-hmm. at, at you know, the, as you add more, either more times or more sensory inputs in terms of the the response mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. of the the child learning the new material, um, and but that ends up getting kind of stuck into what the sensory preferences are right. and that mm-hmm. kind of also segues into people talking about auditory processing disorder right. 
which we aren't going to go into today because no. it just makes me violent. Makes me <laughs> but yeah. and um, I was sitting but, next to her. Yeah, I said that. Yeah. Did you finish your coffee? Um, <laughs> but I think also what I what's popping into my head as we're having this conversation is about how it inhibits um, it inhibits teachers and educators from providing um, the creativity or the I don't know, Laura. You seem like you want to say something, but you, <laughs> there's an inhibitory factor that goes into play with this that. While it feels comfortable, like, oh, my kid is an auditory learner or a visual learner, it actually inhibits their yeah. learning. Yeah. Well, look, we, it, we, we do um, children a disservice when we label them. Right. And we decide this is how things are going to work for them. Mm-hmm. And then th- then we make it so. Right. Yeah. So we, we're, we're not there. able to. Children love to sit behind desks in rows, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> But it takes the That's what they really like. You know, I think it takes the ownership of the, of the teaching process away from the teachers in a subconscious yeah. sort of way because they can be more creative and maybe they right. want to be, but they... Well, but we have well, an educational system that basically, you know, treats teachers like cogs in mechanisms at this point. Well, you know, what about the children? Them. Yeah, they, they have, do. they have, you know, we, the, we take responsibility away from them right in their learning most importantly like you know and so um it's uh you know i i had um my my daughter was telling me about a classmate of hers who he was still relatively new to montessori but decided that he was going to leave the school and she was telling me about it and and i said well what did he say why she goes well he just said he's not learning anything and i said did you ask him why he expects the teacher to pour content into his head Mm -hmm. because he needs to be responsible Mm -hmm. for the learning process but we constantly put that on the adults and that does the child such a disservice because the child once becomes you know when that child becomes an adult will still need to learn no they won't their whole life in america (laughs) well that yeah Yeah. uh, well but this is the idea of i you know this passive i'm gonna you know again it's the the peel me a grape yeah right approach to development and and it it disrespects agency Mm -hmm. exactly and so you want what you want for a child is to understand what their own learning process is Right. right? right and so it's it's a very powerful thing to know the best way for you to learn. You know, I know I have to write things mm-hmm. over and over again. Sometimes I will also say them out loud mm-hmm. to myself. I'll mm-hmm. teach myself on a chalkboard or you have to, mm-hmm. all of these types of things, but you want the child to be the one who well, can I understand the word that. the you just said of learning process is important versus yeah. learning style. Right? Yes, right. It's, a, it's a right. process. It's a process. And um, it's important to, to honor that. And it's not always going to be the same necessarily. Right. That process is not going to be no. the same. You come. Even within subjects, it wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be right? the same. And so right. that's Depending the thing. on the material. Yeah. yeah. Right? So, and, and one of the things when, I, when I'm doing assessments, right, and, and when I'm talking about, and when I talk to, to parents about what we're doing, mm-hmm. right, because they're, they're bringing their child in, usually it's a child that the adults do, but, but usually they're bringing their child in because there's some identified challenge, mm-hmm. right, usually in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And so instead of saying, okay, well, you know, bring your kid in and we'll figure out what's wrong with them. Um, I talk to them about, look, I, you know, tell your child that, that I like to work with, you know, helping kids figure out how their brain works and how they can learn in ways that feel good to them. Mm-hmm. And that we're essentially building them a user's manual for their brain. Right. And so we then will look at how comfortable a child is with material that is structured versus unstructured in its presentation right right um how well somebody accommodates to novelty Mm -hmm. what level of scaffolding does somebody need material to be given in order to access it and Mm -hmm. depend again depending on the the content area in in academics that's going to be somewhat different Mm -hmm. right but Mm -hmm. some kids have difficulty directing their attention effectively, right? right? And so they need somebody to help point their, you know, this isn't being a visual learner per se, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, how you are able to access new information and what level of external structuring do you need to help direct your attention where it needs to go, Mm -hmm. for example. Right. Um, Or if somebody has trouble using auditory information, quote unquote. Um, Well, the thing about auditory versus visual information is auditory information is ephemeral. 
mm-hmm. right? So it comes and it goes. Right. Um, whereas if you have something on paper, it's it's more persistent because you can keep looking at it. Right. So it, you know. So again, there's right. there's. It's not that the the kind of the sense modality being employed is useless or irrelevant. It's just it, the, the learning style stuff ends up taking information that could be useful mm-hmm. and then shoves it into a place that renders it kind of meaningless. Right. Yeah. And then it's not, you know, then you can't do anything with it that's, that's going to be flexible. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay. that's, that's the... Learning style. That's, so that's the, the learning style thing and why it's a, a problem. And, and again... And not it, a thing. It, and not a thing, <laughs> but, but it also... Um, this idea that, that teachers are supposed... is like the meshing hypothesis, right? So right. teachers are supposed to mesh their teaching style with the student's with learning the style. Stu- right. Um, and so we're... I, I think I sent you that quote about how, you know, the idea that students can then be bored in all sorts of different ways. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Bravo. But now I want to find it. Um, okay, put the phone down, Deborah. <laughs> no, you knew. Yeah, no, pull, I can it out, tell. pull it, it out of my cold, dead hand. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this was another Don't thing. Don't make me do that. This is another thing <laughs> that I thought was really interesting. This is a total um, tangent, but oh, but no, I know. Shocker. But, um, but there was I read something the other day where where people were talking about you know teenagers being addicted to their phones, right? Where right. They're being addicted to their phones as object as opposed to Considering the fact that they are using their phones to contact other people. Right. Oh, they're right. Did you, you see? Did you see that somebody was talking about yeah. that yesterday on Twitter? I yes. thought that was such yes. an interesting. I was like, yeah, that's right. Actually, they are in contact with other people. Yes, this I know. Is not, they're it's, not addicted to their phone. They're they're con- they're talking to people. Right. They're engaging with other people. They are. I think what's but the I think though what people get upset about is that they could be with other people right. physically. Right. In the same presence, and then they'll be worried about the people in their phone as opposed right. to who they're sitting with. Which with is, that's the a different that problem, though. But that's right? a different problem. That's right. And so it's that's being right. characterized yeah. as a technological problem, or you know, people. Yeah. You know, people um, using their phones instead of people. It's like no, it's about having some social graces and yeah. you know figuring right. out which conversations are actually important to be having at, at what time. And so it's really yeah. more of a boundary issue. Yeah, it's well, boundaries. Just thinking about boundary selective attention. Yeah. 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 And it's so interesting because you can, you know, we, we like to blame the, the, te- the technology, well, right? Shoot the messenger. Fault. But yeah, my son is a pathological reader. Yeah. And that's how I was. Like got I would, his head be, in a book, and I I'm would like, be can walking you, and reading can at you, the same time. I, we will. He will read as we're walking through a parking yeah. lot, and I'm just. He, you need to put the book down. Yeah. But but it's I'm also problem, like, you need to engage. Yeah. It's the same right. sort of problem, right. just a different, yeah. <laughs> different, um, you know, well, right. device, but lack of a better right. word. No, exactly. Yeah, but, they're like, not saying that about books. Right. I remember Neil Gaiman told a really funny story. He was being interviewed for something. I can't remember what and. He was talking about when he was a kid, you know, what how he spent so much time in just just living in books, and that his parents would literally, when they were going to be going somewhere, they'd say, "Give me the book," you know, and he'd have, and they'd say, "Give me the other book," and he'd have to like, go, <laughs> <laughs> we, have to, we have to we have to take have books like yes. hidden places, and and honestly, I, you know, I, I just, but I, I also think that it, it's kind of a a, a sign of, of, of creativity for people who want to be sort of, you know, enrobed in, in creative worlds. And mm-hmm. and so the, so one of the problems with all of these neural myths is I do think that they also tend to pathologize people's coping strategies, too. Oh, that's sure. a good point, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. You know, and that it's like, you know, like this Susan Greenfield person who's talking about how the internet is making people autistic. You know, like, it's... Okay. Well. Um, <laughs> so it that is <laughs> okay, right? Yeah. So I mean, so again, they're they're they're. I mean, again, we take we're we're sort of light about it and and laughing about it, but it's it's genuinely frightening to me what people will end up believing. Yeah. And that's a good point though too about the learning styles. I mean, it's mainly because I work mostly with neurodevelopmental issues, but you know. Auditory information, assuming that someone's an auditory learner or something like this, 
is still information that can still flood and gating issues, etc. So, you know, you have to be mindful of how that information is viewed. Right. Because for a lot of individuals I work with, it wouldn't matter if you put paper in front of them or turn the lights on. It's going to be overwhelming. Right. Mm. Right. Well, and this is also, it's also a, I I think this is a good kind of segue into another kind of discussion in in the mind-body realm Mm -hmm. that sensory issues are important, right? And and especially with neurodevelopmental disorders, Mm -hmm. um, being overwhelmed, sensory yeah. flooding, yeah. right, and right. and so, and th- you know, within <coughs> that realm, when it, that's one of the places where people, you know, will talk about having auditory processing disorder. Mm-hmm. And the reason I get very kind of stroppy about it is that I have never seen anybody who only has auditory yeah. processing problems ever. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, it, but what ends up happening is that the focus is then placed on their supposed auditory processing issues yeah. and the fact that they have difficulty. In, in relation to all sensory modalities um, gets lost. Right. Right? Especially well, when you're trying to help somebody with, you know, who gets flooded right. and has kind of sensory meltdowns. Yeah, see, that's a... Right. Well, that's and typically, a like, for instance, I think of the guys that I see who, who need to have um, headphones or what are those called? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're not earmuffs, but they're... The the like buds? sound reduction. The sound oh, reduction. Right. Sound reduction yeah. yeah, okay. A lot so of people on the spectrum correct. use those. Right. Yeah. I, I have at least two guys that wear them. Um, but what's funny is the parents will say it's the auditory information, right? So it's, oh, they flood with, it, it's too loud. And I say, you don't recognize that their eyes are closed half of the time. Right. Wow. Okay, so right. it isn't It's just, just being flooded. It's just flooding. And, and so if, you, if you're kind of dampened down one channel, it yeah. is going to help that you get helps. less flooded. Sure. But then the focus becomes on that. Yeah, that's, that's right. so, so interesting. Like with the learning style issue, it but becomes you so specific. Yeah. To, oh, they're uh, the tactile defensive. That's right. another one they're that tactile defensive. Out. They're tactile mm-hmm. defensive. So it's a single sensory. M- really? Because what? Okay, fair enough. That might flood them, but I look at it from flooding. So now I'm not going to play a loud guitar. I'm not going to, you know. Yeah, we have to be so careful with the, that labeling. I think that that's such a, again, a good point that we have to make sure that we're, we're, we're getting information, but we need to be open to new information. Right. And we need to try to well, observe as, as much I, as possible I, so I that we can Melanie see. Oh, their eyes are closed, too. Like, exactly. you know, do you know about Melanie? Do you know Melanie's yeah, work? Yeah, you told no, me about She's her, yeah. wonderful. And yeah. one of these days when she's not completely swamped with getting her dissertation done, we'll have her on. Um, but her emphasis is on olfactory information, and she does a lot of work around um, smell mm-hmm. and, and taste. And she's mm-hmm. a you know, wine yeah. expert. And, and oh, we should definitely... Can yeah. I be? Can yeah. I be on? Yeah, but but the 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 thing that the, I love about her work is that um, scent right. gets completely, completely ignored, and and That's it's right. so yes. important, especially yeah. for people oh. with neurodevelopmental disorders. You, it's so important. It is so important. I used to work in an office with uh, with a company that shall not be named, whose smells drive me crazy, mm-hmm. and. It was so offensive that I'd have clients come in and they couldn't sit. They couldn't come in. And I finally had to say to them, listen, guys, you've got to take these smells out of here. So I wear no scents. I wear my shampoo. is no. Yeah, I don't like scents. scents. But that's a piece of it, too, that gets I love scents. I'm just p- particular well, about what I want. Well, you're particular about it, but yeah. it really does affect people. And Absolutely. And if you're in their face, you know, trying to help them and help them learn, and they're completely distracted by the smell yeah yeah then you're not supporting an educational environment for them yeah right? it's not going to get in right you know? it's not going to stick right? yeah it is it's very distracting so it's very important to recognize yeah. all of that and be you know and that and it doesn't mean that you have to go on the spectrum to have that you absolutely have, not no. and this is where you know it tends to get a little i don't want to say touchy but anyways, right you know, <laughs> so to speak touchy <laughs> Um, oh man! Um, <laughs> um, but but also it, it taps into the, you know this is a real thing um, misophonia, right? Do you know what uh, you know about misophonia? Um, I might we know have someone something about. Who may or may not have misophonia because she may or may not want to jump across the table and hurt your children when they're eating cereal. But I mean, I'm just going to say that and yeah. maybe not name names. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's mm-hmm. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. But it's a thing. It's oh, a real thing. It's oh no! A huge thing. It's a real thing. I she can't even it. tell you what a thing it is. <laughs> yeah, I bet you could. I. It's it's a strange thing. It is I I have overwhelming. It, it is, is it is overwhelming. And I, I have get it wanted to punch people in the face, yeah. and I am not a violent person, <laughs> but it is. Right. No, it's it's really true. So it's, misophonia. Do you want to yeah. do you want to define what misophonia is for, for you? People? Just can't handle listening to people eat. 
making or sometimes like it's chew, sometimes or it's clicking pens yeah too. clicking pens yeah that kind yeah. of thing um or just but the but for me the chewing sounds mm-hmm. are just I mean, literally i saw oh, i saw a kid once i saw <laughs> I a kid once who literally like would become homicidal when they had to sit at the table with their father eating like it was so overwhelming like, overwhelming right yeah now think it's, about that in a learning environment right clicking pens uh tapping pencils that's one that really yeah bothers. sorry bill i'm tapping the table but uh, so now we're gonna have that but yeah it's a real thing it's very very frustrating for people right. yeah right. and so so again for me with the with the learning style stuff and the the kind of miss it's like a misattunement, you know, mm-hmm. focusing because sensory mm-hmm. stuff is so important mm-hmm. and it ends up um, derailing using sensory information effectively right. to aid somebody's experience um, yeah. and get in and, and puts it into these sort of incorrect rigid boxes right. that that end up doing nobody any good other than I kind of I think lend a certain false credibility to the to folks who are pontificating about it. Right. Mm-hmm. And marketing things. Too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And marketing things. Mm-hmm. Money. Which is hard for me to see because it's, it's so frustrating to see. I'm sure it is for you guys too. Oh my gosh. Know, in my practice when I hear families walk in and tell me about certain things and I just, you know, all right. Or you hear families who've come to the full circle and realize that they went through a whole bunch of baloney to get where they are now. They went through a whole bunch of baloney and ten or fifteen thousand dollars. Well, yeah. that's the thing that's frustrating <coughs> because it's expensive to have a child, but it's expensive to have a child on the spectrum and mm-hmm. um, the amount Especially of Especially when people are promising you cures and yeah. promising you answers. Well, this is and yeah. this is I mean it's going, like I said earlier, so far as to be entire schools that yes. are doing this kind of thing, right? And yeah. so I I, mean, I was contacted by a head of school um, outside of the U.S. who had several children leave her school this year to go to a school based on the plasticity of the brain. Right. These schools cost fifteen, right, to eighteen thousand dollars a right. year. Based on the and fact that that you do shit and it changes your brain. Stuff right. You, stuff, stuff. You do stuff. You do and stuff. It change and change your brain. Your brain. <laughs> oh. That was our first one. Yeah. <gasps> I know. And it they wasn't never, me. I'm like so excited. Since, like, balloons should stop I know. And, and you know what? I blame <laughs> Twib. I blame. <laughs> I think this week in blackness because they, oh. <laughs> I, because they, they have like they have like a like you know they have the F's economy and that basically you're only allowed to have you know so Certain many funny. curse yeah. words yeah. and that's that, funny mm-hmm. uh huh funny mm-hmm. um so yeah so All it's right, their well, fault I think I think we touched on this one enough and we'll probably circle back around to it <laughs> yeah many podcasts. Yeah, yeah, we definitely on. will. So we were also going to talk about music today. Well, yeah. Do you want to do music or do you want to do the first three years? Let's do music. Well, you know what? We can actually talk about both because the whole yeah. Baby Einstein thing. Oh, that um, fits. That will fit right fits in. right, That's in, right. It? Yeah, so the music one that comes up a lot is the Mozart effect, um, which has been, obviously. That's when you're, you're, you have a horrific laugh and right. you're silly. And <laughs> That's it. Well, it's that the myth that if you listen to a particular <laughs> composer or style of music, it will increase intelligence or certain types of intelligence, quote unquote. Um, I get run into that a lot. Of oh, well, we listen to classical music, so uh, you know it calms our kid down or whatever. And my response is, well, that won't work for everybody. That right. may work for some. Does um, Beethoven listening to Beethoven? Yeah, <laughs> yeah because but it's called Mozart. Doesn't make effect. me calm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this has been. Obviously, it's been very you know, roundly well, debunked, but it's mm-hmm. also but it's still it's used very persistent. It's still very persistent. Very persistent, and I think it's sort of translated or, or transformed into um, classical music. Like a right. type of music will create a type of effect in someone. Right. Um, be it intelligence, physiological. So another one is, um, you know, uh, if you listen to soft music, that's going to calm you down. But that doesn't work for everybody because, like, if I I hear Kenny G and I want to stab. Correct. Oh, yeah, right? Right. And I (laughs) like to listen to upbeat music, actually, when I want to calm down because I tend to be a fast person. So it actually matches my cadence, right? Right. My my own Well, and that's all the – I mean, because that's real. Like, entrainment research and rhythm research is all – that's real stuff. Real thing. But then it ends up getting – again, derailed into something that's – to make money, right? Well, and if you if you if you have your child listen to this music when they're <coughs> born, or um, there's have you ever heard of the Rockabye Baby? No, no. What okay. is that? It is pretty great. 
Um, by great, I mean I had to turn it off. So I'm obviously a musician, and um, when I had my son, people would give us these CDs of like <laughs> I wish I had. Oh, it. Peggy, so you're a musician. Bad. Here's this. <laughs> it is Here's Pearl Jam <laughs> in Rockabye music. Like so what? Led Zeppelin <laughs> Rockabye. Um, Pearl Jam Rockabye, Beatles Rockabye, and it makes me want to, it, talk about misophonia. I would turn it on and I would say, oh, this must be cool. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't, personally, I could not stand it. But evidently, this is supposed to rock up, quote unquote, rockabye your baby. Um, so it's a whole, you can buy CDs of any rock artist that has been translated into this quote-unquote rockabye music. Isn't that just oh, like, God, isn't it's that just, just elevator such, music? I mean, just, isn't that exactly, music? That's precisely what it is, but oh. it's so irritating to me because it's like, I, if I want to listen to Pearl Jam, I want to listen to Pearl Jam. Well, right? I don't want to listen to somebody turning it into some synthesizer situation. And I'm sorry, you have to, I'm a big, we're big believers in our house of like teaching your children about music properly. I mean, I have pulled my car over and said, yes. this is Jimi Hendrix yes. and you will listen to this. Yes. We're right. pulling we'll over. Right. And the kids were three and four and they're staring right. at me, but you know, whatever. Like, but, but <laughs> this that, is important. But, that's, <laughs> but, but this elevator? It's oh, also <laughs> this idea that, well, if it's if it's kind of strange and, and unusual, it must be good and new because it's novel. Right. And it's but that whole the baby Einstein stuff, because yes, that, th that, that was really popular very, with, with my first one. It still is one. in some ways, you know? You um, still run across it. Um, I think the state of Georgia um, oh, they've gave been sued, everybody uh, yeah. uh, some sort of yeah, when classical, you, had a baby, you, you yeah, got yeah, some sort yeah, of Mozart something, right, or, something. Yeah, so, what so a gets wasted resources. Is that it's not true, and um, you just listen to music that resonates with you, right. and that's the best way to do it. Um, and music can be um, uplifting, it can be many things, but it's not going to be a particular type of music that does that. And it's right. not going to be and the same for every person. No, preferences are a huge issue. In um, fact, there's a lot of research, I, I should look it up, I'll try and find a link, about um, goosebumps. And they did research, and it, you do not get goosebumps unless it is preferred music. Interesting. Right? Mm -hmm. So there's a physiological response that comes from music that is, some, there's something about it. Now you may not like the words of the music if, right. if it's a if it's a, a, a pop song or something, but maybe there's some chord or some some rhythm that's resonating. Right, and, mm -hmm. that and there does there are links between right. types of chords and and emotional links to it. And actually, one of the things we're we're going to be doing when we get our s schedules meshed is um, uh, Chris Remo, who's a composer. Right. Um, he does Idle Thumbs podcast and he composed music for Gone Home and also for Firewatch. Right. Peggy's boss favorite game. Accomplished. Uh, boss log accomplished. Boss log accomplished. We wanted to have him come on and talk uh -huh. about, uh, to kind of bring the, the composing aspect to using music to, to help impact mood. Because it, right. it's really, I mean, that's a real thing, but the way it gets talked about is often Right, and it's culturally specific. Yeah. So, you know, a, a, a particular type of composition is going to resonate because which we talked about, which I find fascinating, this, right. this concept of psychology of music, of that if you can expect a chord to change in a certain particular way, in a use, in a, in um, in the mindset of like I'm used to how this music is going to end. Mm -hmm. When I use the word cadence, I mean chordal cadence, not mm -hmm. like speed. Mm -hmm. um, that that influences your emotional involvement in the process. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know, like if I'm listening to microtonal music or Indian music that has um, these very complex, I forget the word for it, rhythms. Um, mm -hmm. My friend does it, and I totally forgot. But anyways, they're going to have a, a stronger emotional attachment to that music because they're going to know what to expect from it. Right. I don't know what to expect from that. So it's a more novel experience, mm -hmm. and it's going to engage my emotional system in a different way. Right. right. right? But that also falls in line with sort of internal models, right? right? Internal models and um, the expectancy. Correct. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that you will have a different experience based on your expectancy and the resolution. That's another piece of it. That the, the tension and the relief that music has based on our expectations is because there's a resolution to that that we identify with. Right. Yeah. So like a, a, a cadence in the U.S. or Western music is, you know, four, five, one. When we hit that one chord after a five, you, there's this understanding in us 
it is violence. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think a lot of um, people, like with Bollywood movies, right, right, all those musicals, they're for the Western audience at times, they... Um, they, they they seem kind of strange and discordant. Correct, and even from like a, a dance perspective. Right. Um, yeah, I agree. But it's but it, it can be interesting because it's also beautiful to watch. Right. 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 So, anyways, I guess my point about the um, the the Mozart effect and this preference idea is that it, it is really individually specific. There is not one type of music that's going to create quote unquote intelligence. Well, also, what about I um, concentration? People will say right. that that music facilitates concentration. Right. I, I don't believe that to well, be true, depending people, upon the person. The person right. But they, they yeah. it's talked about as if it's objectively, if you Correct. any person listens to, and usually it's classical music yeah. or something, right, uh-huh. that, that it'll facilitate concentration. I can't have anything on. Right. I have nothing I have on when I'm. On. I have to have things on. Yeah, too. see, I can't have anything on. Right, and so there are different neurologies that right. prefer right. different things. And what are the right. similarities and differences between know. between our uh, <laughs> neurologies? Here. Right. Well, see, I mean, in, in in college, I would have to, I could not study in the library. Nobody could make me go to the library and study. I couldn't do it. I mean, I would get so distracted, and suddenly I'm on, you know, I'm calling somebody, <laughs> right? And I'm supposed to be studying. And for me, taking a test is actually better if I have noise going. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I can't. I can't have anything going yeah, on. And I, I prefer, like, I I was one of those people in college who liked taking final exams. Those were my favorite times because with that the that kind of pressure, mm-hmm. it helped everything congeal for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. So it was like a high to correct to take a right. test. Right. So no, I mean, in terms of music and concentration, it's going to be specific. Mm-hmm. And also, some people are going to hear things in music that others don't. Yes. You right. Know? Yeah. I mean, you can use music to address this, you know, idea of attention and all mm-hmm. of these things. But some people aren't going to attune. They're not going to attend to those details. Right. Yeah. And then people who are super attendant to details of this, the minutia of the music, miss that there's this huge beat going on behind them, that is actually what people. That I wor- who I work with are sometimes hearing more so than all the little details. Right. So they'll come in and say, I don't know, he just loves rap. I don't know why he likes the hip-hop rap. Well, there's a grounding bass beat that's going on that he likes, and he'll tell me, and he likes that. Right. Yeah. He's not paying attention to the, the lyrics or no, whatever. And, and the, the melisma, uh, the more detailed, mm-hmm. faster rhythm. He's not attending to that. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know. I don't know if that really answers it, but yeah, it's individual, and you have to honor what works for you. Yes, right? and, some and it better be, and it better work. happen before you're five, because oh, other right. than it's that, you're screwed. Okay, like, right? yeah, those okay. first so that's years, right. everything's set up then, <laughs> and then forget yes. it after that. After yes, that. pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. we have this this myth of three, the first three years. They're so they're, you know. It's it's a very it drives me nuts okay, because okay go over it why don't okay. you explain what it is so first? Um, basically um, that the, the it's the belief that whatever happens within the first three years that's like that's your um, your neurodevelopment is fixed mm-hmm. essentially and that's it you, you know you're so you you better you're have Man, you're stuck so if you don't it's, do all it's the right just, things it's a very deterministic very deterministic, linear view of development. It's stressful. Oh, oh my gosh! Dad, it's, I better get my kid in this. It's, otherwise, it's know. so stressful, right. and it's anxiety. It absolutely, it absolutely does. Well, a lot and of that marketing, market. I mean, marketing to parents, and you use fear, and you just start start I, gathering oh. the coins. Well, Line up. like, don't get me started on attachment parenting because when you read about <laughs> the, those actual oh, books, yeah, I know. you know it's know. the it is all fear based. Like, you know, and people, and well, so this you're is the just, other you're thing just too. A bad mom, because you let your children cry, obviously. Well, yeah, I know. Okay, guys. I know. Focus. Uh, we're not going there. I'm stopping it right now. Okay. 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 All right. We're gonna focus. Like, we're gonna, gonna focus. Emails, and I'm not um, close to it, but I don't want it today. Uh, <laughs> but there's there's there is an article, um, a, a great article. So. Um, uh, Howard Jones, he, and actually that's his last name, Howard Dash Jones. Um, oh, because right. I was going to say, wait, yeah. isn't, isn't he a, a No, he's not the, from the musician 80s? from the 80s. <laughs> so, no, he's had a, he's had a, a he's change had a very, in career. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, anyway, he talks about um, in one of his articles that he wrote in 2014 how 
a, this myth is, is really perpetuated by a misunderstanding of um, Heckman's uh, work uh, on early development. And, you know, his he's an economist and he was talking about like if we, you know, if we uh, invest in early childhood education, it pays off in the in the longer run. This is true. And um, and yes, there is something to that. But it, it that kind of um, helped to feed into this whole idea that like it all happens within mm-hmm. the first three years. Mm-hmm. And that can actually I mean, th- not only does that cause stress for parents and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. but in terms of other policy implications, oh, um, yes. Howard Jones points out that, you know, that kind of information can be used to say, well, see, this is why we don't need to really focus on higher education right. so much, because it's the first yeah. three years that matters. Yeah, it all happens in the first three years. Teenagers don't develop. So, well, right. also, right. I mean, socioeconomic. Right. But I just, I, again, I'm just from, from the looking at socioeconomic stuff and... Mm. It, it it's so problematic in There's, so in so many ways yeah. and so so this is this is the other thing that i think th- that happens and um there's a there are some researchers in the, in uh the uk that have written about it. there's a really good book called um parenting culture studies that kind of talks about this where you know the the, the these deterministic um perceptions of development it, now then you have these social policy agendas where people are going into the homes of low SES people and they're just saying all you need to do is just love your children more right and here's how you love them more and then it'll this will make them resilient to things like poverty (laughs) and and uh you know stress and all of these sorts of things and it's really it is so um I just it it drives me crazy because it it's so disrespectful it yeah. is, it's so disrespect, disrespectful. Um, it's very kind of... Um, so don't worry about the lead paint. Don't worry about everywhere. the lead paint. Don't, don't worry about... Water, don't or the worry. water that you can't drink. Right. Or the fact that... Or the fact that maybe you there aren't jobs available for you right. and you're stressing to put food yeah. on the table. Right. But if you just... If right. you are love just your love your more. child and what, more... And that's so vague, and, too. And what do you mean by love, love. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Well, it's... You know, and then it's also, you know, go in and there are programs, you know, where they, they teach you how to talk to your child so that, that your child gets more words, right? So that's all... There's, you know, all this sort of stuff like that. This has to happen at an early age and... and Yes, I mean we, we want to facilitate language development and that and that sort of thing. And, but and the idea of an enriched environment is, you know, but again, none of these things are inherently bad. It's a question of how they're applied, right? And there's yeah. something, oftentimes, that is just ends up being so colonial yes, about it. That's right. Um, that's what the problem is. And yes. you know, just disrespects cultural differences. Exactly. In, in how people relate to one another right and it's also um and this is again sort of a, a tangent but one of the issues that comes up with um, augmented communication and people who you know communicate with ipads is that you know what you program into those ipads right so um people who communicate using augmented communication end up having to have restricted vocabularies mm-hmm. because they, they were there's no curse words mm-hmm. on it mm-hmm. there's no right so the words oh. you're given, yeah. right, end up being the words you have to use. Ugh. Um, right. You know, and so, and, and also, like, the, the early intervention piece, I think, is important because the earlier you start learning skills and working on them, the more robust yeah. it, it, right. it will be. But the idea that, you know, once you hit age three or once you hit age five, that, that that's it. That that's it. Yeah, um, it, it is hugely damaging. It's it it just and it that that's just not how that that's just not how the brain works. But it also means too. So when you think of things like trauma mm-hmm. and things of that sort, then it then it becomes you know like oh, so then you're destined to live a life of you know mental illness mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, addiction and all of these things. You know, there's the the ACE. Right, test, right, right, right. That, so that's not about the first three years specifically, but you know, if you have all of these things, and yes, there's some correlation with that. But and trauma, trauma changes your brain. Trauma but, can change but your trauma, brain, but trauma doesn't uniformly change a person's brain. And also, exactly, the, the, when people overly focus on brain structure, they don't 
they're not understanding the relationship between structure and function mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that yeah. you can have people I, I've seen people missing large portions of their cortex who mm -hmm. are look just great in terms of their function and I've seen people with entirely intact structure who are highly highly impaired and right so um, th there's a real problem in terms of people using brain research in ways that aren't supported right where the link between brain structure and and even brain function doesn't get linked specifically to behavior mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the specific links between brain structure and function and behavior well, don't get met and also the person's sense of the the, the young person's agency right right that you can I mean yeah. if we're if we send messages out into the world that if this happened to you at this age then you're doomed what I mean we unless we, you turn on this metronome right then, <laughs> <laughs> then you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Just come to one of our centers. So, mm -hmm. so, so that's. Yeah. A, but it it disempowers yeah. people, and yeah. it takes away their sense of, um, you know, their sense of control over their own well being. Yeah. It doesn't have to. Right. Things don't have to happen in this you know specific kind of way. Well, and it's a it's again it's a misapplication of of uh, ideas of both you know top down and bottom up. Right. right? Mm -hmm. So that. Um, like one of the things I, I enjoy about Connie Willis's work in going in and working on resilience with families is that the emphasis is really more on affect regulation mm -hmm. and on helping people learn how to regulate mm -hmm. their arousal levels, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it's not about content per se. No, it's about right. being able to stay out of fight flight. Yes, right. Yeah. And yeah. So that is, and that is an interpersonal thing, yeah. and it's influenced by the whole system, mm -hmm. right? And so if you're working with, with families and you're sensitive to the cultural interplays and the ways that in the, that setting people are regulating affect and helping their children regulate affect, there's, there's a lot you can do mm -hmm. to help support a person's resilience in that way, right? Yeah. Um, but and that's very different. That's very than different because honestly, every family can use that. <laughs> right. Or seriously, every. Right. I mean, you know, every everybody can can use that yeah. that that sort of help. And I mean, that's and in Montessori education, we have actually you know the opportunity to help children. I mean, that's part of what the teachers are doing is is you know helping the children to helping regulate with frustration tolerance. Yes, helping, exactly. To be able to identify it helping and with then distress tolerance. Yes. Right. Yeah. And. Um, and again, we have a tendency to use science to further um, sometimes some very you know non-democratic ways of, of being with people, well, right? Yeah. And so it's you know so in the modern world, we're not supposed to hug our children or you know that kind of stuff. But then it gets argued against where then you should nurse your child until they're ten, you know. So there's you can you can come at this stuff from so many different directions and, and misapply it. It's mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. so easy to do. Well, and also I do think that you know from a social policy perspective that you know um, saying we're gonna we're gonna go in and, and um, teach these families to you know better attach to their children during the first three years and that, and that's gonna make them resilient to all of these um, uh, um, societal issues. I don't know. I'd say it, give it, them it, give them clean drinking water how, first. Well, how about we fix some of the societal issues? <laughs> right. That's my thing. Can we get right, to right. the actual foundation yeah. Yeah. Uh, of and of the problems? But it becomes such a squirrel, right? You know, right. and and you know, and I and I get that people people have good intentions when they're doing these things, but we need to 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 look at things. I think from a from a broader level, right? You well, know, you have to do you have to care about the forest and the trees. Yes. Yes. And, and yes. so so a lot of policy ends up being just lots of trees yes. and without pulling back to get a, a larger view of what the point yeah. of this is. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and again, to, from, from my point of view, the neuromyths piece, like we keep making educational policy, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. common core, like all of these things, we just keep, you know, the, the educational system just keeps getting these these ideas that wow, this seems really cool. Well, let's just change the whole system because right. So, mm -hmm. so let's let's do whole language, and then oh wait, nope, let's do phonics. Let's do it, it, as if this one you know hyper focused area spread out for everybody is going to be effective. Right. 
right when it isn't yeah well um i think we covered them yeah all of them it's done yeah well there's more well there are many more there are many more and so that's a good reason to come back and talk about it. so we'll have a part two because one of the things we can also talk about more are are things within the kind of the sensory motor arena um and how neuromyths often fuel a lot of these programs that people do that use physical interventions to Mm -hmm. improve uh, children's brain function. Yes, right? and that and that's a particular mm-hmm. interest area of mine because mm-hmm. I'm I'm big on physical interventions, but mm-hmm. the, a lot of the ways they're marketed and, and developed are bad. Yeah, that's you know? that's what I would like for uh, you know to be able to have that discussion on what what's the what's the line because it's we tend to look at things very black and white, right? And but there's so much gray, and that's right. and so. Because, we need you know, to bring it, that gray that, that part to light so people can know. Link is super important, yeah. but mm-hmm. you know, you, instead of you know taking your kid and spending a you know bunch of money to do you know brain balance center or NeuroFit or one of those things, you know, put them in karate, right? Like right. W- there's there are lots of things you can do that are naturally mm-hmm. you know yes built to do this stuff where you don't have to artificially. Yes. Do stuff that doesn't have a good scientific basis yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, and, and it's people spend a lot of money on it, and uh-huh. I it it's really it's irksome. It's irksome to me. It that, is that people are spending yeah. that kind of yeah. money. Yeah. Um, so we'll talk about it in depth in another time yeah. because there's you know there'll always be more neuro myths for us to mm-hmm. oh discuss. Yeah, and send them our way. Yeah. Um, so we'll be you know we'll have lots of links. Um, on the page, mm-hmm. we'll have a link to um, to Christian's book, mm-hmm. to a lot of the studies that mm-hmm. that we talked about. Um, there's always new stuff on Neuromis that's mm-hmm. coming out, and so mm-hmm. we'll we'll try to put the most the most recent stuff that's on there for for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the website so is neurocurious dot org. Mm-hmm. Um, now we have to go around and talk quickly about what we've been doing, playing, or or oh you know boy. listening to lately. So Peggy, I know you're uh, not playing many video games I'm lately, but are you listening that, to um, some music, watching any videos? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm listening to music. I'm listening to Beyonce. <sighs> so good, that Lemonade Man. Oh, yeah. See, so I didn't. I, know, I haven't seen it and, yet. And this is this is. I I texted Deborah about it. Like I have a different different take on it. So. <laughs> You, you I, listen I, to it first, and then you watch it. I have to listen to it. I yeah. don't. I can't do video music videos. But it's not a music video. It's I a, know it it's isn't. a I'm not visual album. Is. I'm not right. saying it is, but for my brain, <laughs> I had to listen to it first before I could have an investment. So that's what I did. Um, I like that. Um, I really haven't been doing much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been working. That's not what I hear. Uh, No polka dancing, huh? Um, I have been stinking up Overwatch. Um, Overwatch Overwatch is a is a game, the Blizzard game that that is coming out, and um, I'm terrible at it. So mostly, mostly my kids play it. I've been playing. I still been playing Sailor Moon Drops a lot. I started a character in Diablo Three has a new season. All right. Yep. That's that's it. And I've just been listening to Lemonade a lot and watching it a lot. I really, really, really liked. The, yeah, you, the the visual part of it, but that's how I saw it first. But you're a visual learner, right? But that, but I am and a visual learner. learner. Yeah, Clearly. we know that. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I'm going. I got tickets. I'm oh, taking yeah, my. I am taking my stepdaughter to go see Beyonce next weekend. And fellow eighty thousand people. It'll be yeah. It's a little. It'll be an intimate intimate little place called the Rose Bowl. Yep. Oh, y'all uh-huh. have a blast. It'll be fun. Oh yeah. How yeah. about you, Laura? Oh, well, I, uh, you yeah. Finish your coursework. That's finish awesome. my coursework. Yeah, I'm getting ready to do um, a week-long speaking tour across oh, Canada. Yeah. So, cool. Yeah. So Scouting out for us to move there? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> Should Trump get elected? Yeah. I know. So I just know. keep an eye out so, for you know, job yeah. prospects for yeah. us. I, I prefer I Vancouver, so make sure to oh, look around. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be in Vancouver at all. I'm, gonna, I'm on uh, Toronto and Ontario. and Yeah, I'm not... So it's going nice. to be, um, and I'm actually I'm doing a talk on neuromyths oh, for good. Uh, oh, awesome. the professional development day oh, for some of the teachers. Way. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've been in Toronto. I went to Toronto. I told- <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You did I, go to Toronto. I went to Toronto. Yeah, <laughs> That's what I went you to did. Toronto. Yeah, that was great. VNS. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So, awesome. oh, we have to have an episode on that. Yeah, actually. we do. We need to do um, an episode. You need to say. You need to say what what it is. And we need to show 
people what we're talking about because I think that that's a piece that will really help yeah mm -hmm. so so we gotta we gotta drag Cindy Butler in here yeah we'll get her yeah Anyways. So I'm not sure what our next episode is going to be, actually. I don't know either. Um, Good question. To be determined. Yep. So we'll know, we'll know in a couple weeks, I guess, what it'll be <laughs> focused on. <laughs> when we show up, it'll be here. So anyways, yeah. Um, so thanks for thanks for joining us. Oh, Laura, how can people find you? Oh, um, uh, I have two websites, lauraflorasshaw.com and then whitepaperpress.us. Mm -hmm. And your uh, Twitter handle is? Oh, yes. Sorry, my Twitter handle. Uh, L. Flora Shaw. I mm -hmm. think that's my Twitter handle. That sounds, <laughs> sounds about right. Yeah, L. Flora Shaw. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's also a white paper press Twitter handle, but I yeah. tend to tweet more at, from my my own. Yeah. Yeah, it's like we have a neurocurious handle, but nobody yeah. ever uses it. <laughs> <laughs> because we're because we're on it and we're super professional that way. Yeah. yeah. Really well, that's a thing. That. I just, yeah. 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 We're, we're, podcasting uh yeah pros really at mm -hmm. this point i think okay how do people reach you <laughs> oh uh i am at nebula 63 on twitter and i have a website which i can't remember the name of currently. and i have a website nitrogenfreetherapy.com that's right and i have an email address but i think for the podcast we should let people know that our our podcast email is we are neurocurious at gmail.com that's oh, yeah. right that's send your angry mm -hmm. hate mail yeah <laughs> Yeah, or your loving letters—that's fine yeah. too. We'll take those. Also, it's, or your you know, questions. Questions. Right? Also, it, yeah, if questions. there are um, topics that yeah. you're interested in hearing about, you mm -hmm. know, please, you know, either through Twitter or email or however. You yeah, know. or questions or observations or yeah. anything. Let us know. Yeah. we're always we're always open because mm -hmm. we are curious. We are indeed. Yeah. All right. All right. So thanks for joining us. See you next time. Bye bye. Bye.